and welcome to the Feel, Heal, Grow podcast. My name is Marina Vander Hayden, and I'm the founder of Sprout, an app to help you feel emotions, heal painful perceptions, and grow into your best self. In this podcast, my goal is to help you embody wisdom with the application of knowledge to feel adaptable, peaceful, and resilient in daily life. A big part of this process is acknowledging how painful experiences may have shaped your present. And this is why our very first guest is trauma specialist, licensed clinical social worker, and founder of Integrative Psychotherapy in Long Island, New York, Esther Goldstein. Esther and her team use integrative mind-body techniques to help clients heal from trauma, anxiety, and depression to move forward in life with newfound strength. So Esther, welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so grateful for our connection and also for the work that you do in terms of helping people heal and raise awareness. So thanks for, for having me. Thanks, Esther. I think it's important to have a, a variety of approaches to healing and I'm really grateful um, for you taking the time to be on and talk about trauma and your integrative approach um, because it, it seems um, trauma is it's almost a invisible epidemic spreading mm. through society. Um, but um, what got you into therapy and, and the world of healing? Mm. If you asked me this question a while ago, when I became a therapist, I probably would just say that um, I had I have a knack or I had a knack to understanding people. Um, I think really unconsciously and more consciously the past number of years. Um, what got me into the field is really my own desire to find wholeness and to find my own healing and self-development in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know at the age of like thinking about going to college, we think about self-development in an in-depth kind of way, right? Like how does my mind, my body, the rhythm of my soul work? Um, But yeah, I I think that I was a a child who was very aware of my surroundings. So on the one hand, that can be a beautiful experience, but it could also be somewhat burdensome. Mm -hmm. Um, I noticed that there were people in my extended family that struggled with certain addictive tendencies. And I was just kind of confused, like, wait, how do we stop this from happening? Um, and I think I told you, I really, like, I almost had this fantasy of a child, like, helping save the world, be some CIA agent or work in some, like, big law firm yeah. um, to be the voice, right, for people who don't have a voice, children of adoption or divorce. Um, but then, like I shared, I really wanted to focus on also being a mom because I'm a mom myself. So I looked at other ways of helping, uh, and then I landed in the therapy world, the psychology field. And what's interesting, and I'm, I'll stop and we can continue, is that what I thought I was getting into is so different than what I actually have experienced and continue to experience. People think, and I just want to say this for anyone listening, like you might think healing or even meditation, or I know you have this platform, um, is something. And I think just being open to what healing or change or development could look and be like um, could be a gift we give ourselves because my journey has been so uniquely different. Um, but I ended up kind of a, like along down the road, I ended up obviously um, getting connected to good mentors, engaging in some of my own work, and not just in terms of therapy, but like um, yoga or being more mindful of the people in my life, relationships that I chose or choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized the importance of creating an integrative approach to healing um, for clients and also to have a therapeutic, supportive environment for staff. So the way I look at our integrative treatment centers that we have a staff where we really have each other's back there's a lot of support for the staff um and then we provide yeah creative approaches to healing for our clients we get to serve so you also focus on creative arts and dance movement and various types of therapy that's that's kind of part of your integrative approach right yeah yeah um it's interesting because like in i was in a post-grad training um in New York City, and I remember there was someone who was gonna go back to school for her master's in art therapy, and I was really thinking about it, because a lot of my own anxiety symptoms 
or symptoms that I felt on my body, but didn't really have thoughts connected in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was trying to find other ways to, to release the tension or try to make sense of myself. Um, but yeah, I ended up hiring a few art therapists and movement therapists. All of our rooms actually on our on our chat for our practice. We just confirmed that we have we have um, a sand tray in all of the rooms. We have I don't know if you can see there's like that green little that's part of like dance movement. One of our dance movement therapists like will engage in dance and movement and activity in the room. Yeah. Um, so we have all of our rooms have like art equipment and um, sand tray and like masks or whatever it is that it might be. And sometimes people say, like, wait, isn't that just for children? And it's like, no, no. Art and movement is for all human beings, right? You know this. So Yeah, of yeah. course. And I like how you mentioned that before you got into it was a completely different perception of when you actually were doing it. Because I think everyone's individual healing path is so completely different and unique. Um so what do you think was different about um, your perception of it versus actually working in it? Oh, I love that question. Huh. Um, I think my perception was probably more childlike. Like people sometimes talk about relationships and they're like, was that real love or is what I have now real love, right? Mm -hmm. What I say is like, well, there's childlike love and then there's more adult love and then there's like mature love, right? Yeah. So when it comes to healing, I think I had more of a childlike perception of what healing would look like. So hang some sticky notes with some mantras on my wall, go to therapy once a week, <laughs> walk around skipping and hopping or helping clients talk about the pain that they have and how my huge, loving, delightful heart and big smile would help provide healing for those who just interacted with me, you know? Um, yeah. So I think I thought that, you know, psychotherapy is about helping people find hope and energy um and and it is that is what it is but i think over the many years the words hope and the words energy and being able to hold and tolerate and actually really witness and be with someone's painful experiences um has really shifted um so i think to answer your question i think it's like me being myself being committed to um my own integrity my own life you know, being really real, really raw, like there's so many ways to be a psychotherapist or to be in a healing field. Um, I think it's when we are our own vessels of healing. Um, I think it was just becoming like honest with myself, my story, you know, and it doesn't mean that everyone has to go digging into the past, but it was more about like, who am I? Is there like a caretaker part of me? Because most of us in the helping field have some kind of caretaker neck, right? We've either had to yeah over caretake for ourselves or loved ones. And so it's like, instead of engaging in this helping field from like a savior complex, how can I engage from a really healthy, steady, anchored place um, where I'm then being like a guide with a flashlight and helping hold the hand of somebody else. So I think right now it's just that I'm a lot more humble, but yeah. humbled by the human experience. I don't have all the answers. I've got quite a lot of skills and I've got some, I think I also have more trust in the process of this thing called life and healing, um, mm -hmm. more capacity to tolerate pain, to not yet know the answers, um, and then a lot of confidence and kind of some of the skills that I've acquired and also on the resources that resources and supports that I have invested into my life and then what I have right now. So, um, but it's not as, it's not as sexy. It's not as shiny. People say like, go to therapy, you're going to heal and feel better. And, um, or it's like the marketing for some of the therapy techniques of like go to, you know, this, tr this therapist. And sometimes I just, I think, I think what I would say is like, it's a lot less sexy, but it's a lot more helpful. So if you're not getting better and it's taking some time, and if you're listening to a meditation or you're tapping into podcasts and you still have some grief on your heart, um, don't give up. You know, it's kind of like, it's being engaged in this longer term process of shifts that get you, um, better quality of life in the long run. Yeah. And, and recognizing that there is no one size fits all. There's no one retreat. There's no one meditation or app or podcast that can help you transform in your life and heal your pain and grow into your best self. Um, it's really, uh, it's really subjective. And I, I think that's like, as a therapist, it's 
kind of your job to help people explore the different ways in which they can heal in their own experience. Um, but one thing that really stood out about you to me is your focus on trauma, because I think it's something so, of course, it's a buzzword on social media. It's often misused, but mm -hmm. it is something very prevalent in the world right now that affects a lot of people. And surprisingly, not a lot of therapists are well-versed in. So what got you what got you started in, in trauma and what got you started into trauma therapy specifically? Yeah. yeah. If you ask me, you know, when I was in my graduate school program, there were choices like, do you want to work with substance abuse? Do you want to work with like early childhood and development? Or do you want to work with like family systems? There mm -hmm. was no subcontext of working with trauma. I think it might've shifted at that point. Um, but if you would have asked me, do you want to work with trauma? I would be like, I would ask the question that some people ask me when I say trauma. They're like, well, you mean head injury, like TBI? And I'm like, yeah, darling, like there's different kinds of trauma, you know? Yeah. Um, but really, I think I shared with you, I, I had specialized, started off specializing in, I actually did the track in substance use and abuse. Mm -hmm. And then I was living abroad in Israel. I was finishing up my internship. And then I did a postgrad training at Hebrew U. Mm -hmm. um, with a subsect of Hebrew called Mafon Karov, which um, they did a training in treating trauma, sexual trauma and complex trauma. And at that point, some of the people I, I was working with had been in um, terrorist attacks, but, you know, it was like a, a war zone. Um, and so I started doing research on the people who, um, from those kinds of single incident trauma, those who recovered in shorter periods of time and who held recovery. And let me just define recovery as people who had symptom reduction and were mm -hmm. able to have more energy and capacity to engage in their light, lively tasks um, versus the ones who went through a similar experience or the same experience and had a much harder time kind of getting back on track. Mm -hmm. and, so, and the same, and then I started applying the same thing for people who had gone through other kinds of traumatic experiences like sexual abuse, emotional neglect, and what I realized was that some people were able to hold sobriety, right, with addictions, or some people were able to engage in healing and work through flashbacks or panic um, and have more capacity and bandwidth to get back to daily life or to interact with the world, even though they had those painful experiences. And some kind of almost like kept relapsing either with their drug of choice or found a different way to numb, get into codependent relationships, um, or just had chronic symptoms. And it made me take a pause and really look deeper. And that's when I started looking at this, um, the etiology of pain or the internal system of how these people's internal worlds are, right? Their development. And what it, a, lot, a lot of the, the data that came up with were people who had um, early childhood experiences or current experiences of secure attachment and good relational dynamics and positive belief systems um, were able to have just not because of what they did anything better, but just because of their their programming and the supports they had, um, have less symptoms in the long run. And so it made me start thinking like, okay, I want to help people in a bigger realm, not just be like I'm administering treatment. This person is doing okay, but like three months later, he's right back in treatment and this other person is fine um, and is good enough. Actually, and three months later, he's holding results. I'm like, I want to help the people not just work on behaviors, right? Not just work on skills, not just work on this recent incident or um, with addicts, I would say, like helping them stop using the behavior. I'm like, let's work on the core, which is usually like the pain, right? Addicts, addictive behavior, using our phones, turning to drugs, alcohol, sex, right? Love mm -hmm. addiction, numbing out or dissociating, right? Or having mm -hmm. tons of panic. All of those intensities are ways to kind of, um, it's like a band-aid for a boo-boo or real deep pain. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to stay in this field if I'm not getting to the core of your pain. Yeah. So I was like, I want to get to the core, right? Like the underpinnings of what's causing all of this disease. Let's mm -hmm. try to get to the core. And then obviously we want to help provide healing and relief to that pain or provide some kind of intervention. But even just by starting to identify the core roots, it was often a huge sense of relief and like, you're not crazy, right? This is just how your brain has been programmed and we're, we're going to help you. We're going to help you. It really does feel like you're you're putting a band-aid on a wound 
wounds when you're just addressing the symptoms and not the actual root of the issue. So I think your work is incredibly important for this uh, purpose. And so would you, would you explain what the difference is between trauma of omission and trauma of commission? So like the, the shock trauma from the people that you worked with that injured terrorist attacks, for example. Yeah, so I'm just going to define trauma of omission and trauma of commission for everyone here because so many times people, I mean, I think there's been more knowledge, but it always helps to repeat uh, information that's helpful for anyone. So when people think about trauma, they either think of the two different kinds of trauma. There's like shock trauma and developmental trauma. So shock trauma is usually like being in a car accident, being raped, right? Having um, either having a horrible like shaming experience, being bullied, being physically hit, being yelled at. Um, And then developmental trauma is more of like experiences in your childhood or throughout developing years, even teenage years, um, where there are areas of wounding. So it might not be as shocking, right? It might be like ongoing sexual abuse. Maybe somebody who interacts with you in a way that's very demeaning, where they're mentally manipulating you. Maybe Mm -hmm. ongoing feeling of not being understood, having families where you're either living in a war zone. So it's more developmental and people mm-hmm. sometimes think, oh, shock trauma is worse than developmental trauma, but it's not the case. The case is really a matter of like whatever your experience is, how it impacted your brain and your body and the beliefs that you developed around it. So if somebody, I'm just going to go off on a tangent, I'll come back to your definition, but if somebody had a single incident rape, but they had like really supportive family who came right away to their help, helped them process it, and they felt supported, they might not develop long-term trauma symptoms. And someone who might have like ongoing neglect or being shamed or manipulated in their home environment or in school might have pretty severe trauma symptoms and be afraid to speak up um, later on in life. And you might be like, wait, this is not shock trauma, right? That's more developmental trauma. But the ongoing kind of form of abuse or, 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 you know, trauma or pain um, really impacts the brain and then the beliefs and the development and how they feel safe or unsafe in their bodies. So, Mm -hmm. so that's just like the backdrop. Now, To come back to the trauma of omission or trauma of commission, um, trauma of commission means like something happens, right? There's like like commission, like you're adding something. So so you're being hit, you're being yelled at, you're being shamed, right? So there's a lot of like trauma of commission is something is happening to you. That's the generic kind of trauma people think about a lot. Trauma Mm -hmm. of omission is basically the things that you needed to happen but never happened. Yeah. Right. So I love like this piece, I think, is so important, Marina, because you said earlier, like it's this invisible epidemic that's going on. And I meet people so many times that it's like, but I don't have a trauma. And I look at them and I'm like, darling, you don't have trauma of commission, but you have so much trauma of omission. Right. I don't use that language, but it's like, yeah, so many things that you needed that you didn't get. And there's these aching holes in your heart. Mm -hmm. Right. So trauma of omission, just to define is like not getting that hug, not getting those words, not having somebody who, you know, makes eye contact with you, never really socially yeah. belonging, right? Not yeah. having a teacher who's looking out for you when you're struggling behind in class, mm-hmm. feeling like a, so, so it's kind of like the, the not getting those developmental gaps. Mm-hmm. There are times in your life where you needed something and you didn't get it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of trauma of omission kind of relates to, the pain of having no story to describe why you feel certain symptoms um, or no story that you can maybe readily identify on your own, which is where a therapist comes in. Um, Yeah. yeah. I love to say that. Yeah. So do the symptoms, how do the symptoms manifest um, through different types of trauma? Is it, um, is it, more like body focused for trauma of commission or are they kind of intertwined or like how does that how does trauma affect us i love this question i really love this question just so you say kind of the term of like there's no story yeah thank you for saying that because for anyone listening like if you feel like you know your friends or your buddies your neighbors have a story and you don't really have a story Mm-hmm. you have, have some kind of pain or confusion, um, give it a minute, right? Your story mm-hmm. might not have a generic head, head, you know, headline, or you might not have a typical 
book cover, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that your story is not valid. Um, mm -hmm. And it makes me think about a blog. I once wrote, I once wrote a, a poem. I think you write poetry too, right? Do you I do, poetry? yes. Okay. I wrote a poem once. Well, I wouldn't call it a poem till after. And it was called The Invisible Perpetrator. Mm -hmm. And it was basically talking about, um, it was basically talking about when we walk around the world, right? Let's say, I know for myself, it was a time that I had ended a relationship that wasn't good for me. And I felt so confused and so alone. And then I was thinking about this experience when we feel so empty and unmet in a relationship. And then for some people in their childhood or in long-term relationships or in society, mm -hmm. and now you can walk around feeling like society or the world has neglected you. But it's so confusing because there's no perpetrator. No one's hurting you. No one's hitting you. No one's yeah. shouting at you. But it's it's. But you feel like you've been you know hurt in some kind of way, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but I love how you said kind of this piece of um, of the of the having no story. So just to anyone who doesn't have a story or feels like they don't have a story. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of shame associated to that too, just feeling such a profound hurt or longing for what you've never had and, and thinking, oh, because because nothing quote unquote shockingly bad happened to me or that I that I can think of, then there must be something foundationally wrong with me. Right. There um, was a lot of shame. Yeah. 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 I think that's part of the trauma. And then I'll talk about how trauma manifests itself. But I think that's part right. of the trauma. And I love how you said, like, that's where therapy or that's where the right kind of support and basically someone saying, hey, there, I'm going to sit with you and I'm going to get to know you. And, mm -hmm. I, and as I get to know you, I'm going to hear the things that you're saying. And I'm also going to notice the things that you're not saying. Mm -hmm. right? And I'm going to mm -hmm. notice where your body is talking to me. If I have a client who comes in, right, I'm, I'm, in this training of sensory motor psychotherapy and I'm in the last, there's three years of training and then there's practice and we get our own somatic therapy done. But like what we learn also is the way that our clients carry their bodies and what they've had to learn, how their muscles and their whole system have had to learn how to, you know, hold themselves to get attention, to be safe. Some are kind of shut down. Some are walking around like, all like pushed out because they're so ready for like fight. Right. Some people have yeah. a trapped in their body. They just want to, right. So so I think part of part of this is like right saying like if when you meet someone or when you give yourself that gift, there's someone saying, I'm gonna listen to your words, I'm gonna listen to your body, I'm gonna listen to what you're saying, I'm gonna listen to what you're not saying. Because if a client comes in and talks all about, you know, her sister, and I know that there was a brother and she just never mentions him, right? Mm -hmm. but dad was away, but he was so delightful. But I see how her dynamics with men are constantly chasing after emotionally unavailable men. Like she's waiting for that approval or that love. Mm -hmm. She's waiting for daddy to come home and to mm -hmm. say, honey, I just want to be with you. Then a good therapist starts putting those pieces together and helping the client make sense of the story that maybe doesn't have a story, but it is her story. And just even starting to be like, wow, so dad was away a lot. Right, mm -hmm. not saying, well, your dad was neglectful and that's why you're running after emotionally unavailable men, but just starting to give um, words and give shape to the story of the of the story that this person is living within and how they can engage in healing so they could be more whole and interact with the world in a more wholesome way. Um, not, mm -hmm. not from this like hungry place where they're grasping. And I think the shame, coming back to the shame piece, is that we all feel shame when we have boo boos, right? Because there's this piece of like, I should be okay. Yeah. Okay. Without this, when it's really like, really, you should be, you're supposed to not have like a pair of shoes to walk around with and you should be okay. Right? <laughs> um, but we want to be okay. Right. And we mm -hmm. try to be okay. So we put on like plastic, plastic wear, or we take those like flip flops and we're running out in snowstorms of life. I'm just giving you an example. Like sometimes we don't have the right gear and yeah. shame really actually comes to protect us because if I'm ashamed of the fact that I'm very clingy or that I have anger outward. Yeah. Shame will actually help me to tuck that away, to keep it away, right? I want to be, I want to belong. I want to socially belong. So if mm -hmm. I'm clingy or graspy, I'm going to feel ashamed of my clingy and graspiness and try to hold that in. So nobody notices that I'm clingy and graspy because it pushes them away. Mm -hmm. I hide it and then people are going to like me. I might be successful at the hiding or not successful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But at some point, it's like if there's 
you know, if, if you're able to share that story in a place where someone helps to make sense of where it came from and why it's there, then part of the therapy, by the way, is that, or even our knowledge is that the shame starts dissipating. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, just really developing our story and understanding it, bringing words and language to the story helps us kind of shape the narrative in a way and how we understand it. Like there's not that there's not something maybe foundationally or fundamentally wrong with us, but that this was a coping mechanism that was actually helping you for a period of time, not just sheerly inhibiting us. And um, so I guess um, protection mechanisms and coping mechanisms, they, they serve a purpose like, like shame and even um, addictive behaviors, they serve a purpose as well, right? They all serve a purpose. And I want to circle back to that question where you said, how do trauma symptoms present? And yeah. It's kind of like, let's just hold the term trauma very loosely because some people have an allergic reaction to trauma, right? They're like, I don't have trauma. And I'm like, okay, it's, we don't have to use the word trauma, right? Like, let's just say we're yeah. all human. And going through this human experience, we all go through experiences that are good and are not so good. Some of yeah. us have more neglect. Some of us have less neglect. Some of us have yeah. really secure times in our life. And then later on in life, we have a oops moment or pain or we feel something hits us hard. And some of us have more, you know, difficult times when we're younger, or maybe sometimes we're just hyper-focused on a certain form of coping, like perfectionism, or just always being the kid who never shows up and is kind of sad or angry or whatever it is. So let's just say like in this thing called life, how do we know when we have some kind of wounding that needs some attention, right? Because really yeah. like, Really, I always people say, oh, do you go digging for work? I'm like, do you think I invite clients to come to my office if they're perfectly fine in life? No, like, I don't care what your story really is. It's all a matter of like functioning and being able to do this thing called life um, with a place, with a, with a sense of like ease or joy, even though, and also capacity to deal with a difficult time. So not just shut down. Yeah. Right? Trust that you can move through. So I think, Marina, the way that trauma presents itself, right, or pain um, is in a few different ways. Either someone will have some symptoms of just feeling this feeling of emptiness, feeling lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they might have like really strong symptoms of anxiety, feeling misunderstood, maybe like some waves of like sadness and depression, right? Yeah. And we'll talk about like the biological component where people sometimes need medication and then also the therapeutic piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we'll also find is, like we just said about coping, we'll see people who are engaging in behaviors that are not good for them. Mm-hmm. Most of the time they know it's not good for them, but they just can't help it. It's like if I'm bleeding out and, and there's a Band-Aid right here, and even though the Band-Aid's a little dirty, it's hold, hold, holding me from bleeding out and dying. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to grab that dirty Band-Aid because it's some kind of protection. Yeah. Now, if somebody says, well, why did you do that? Well, there is nothing else around me, Right. Yeah. So like I had a client who got in a relationship with someone who had really unhealthy characteristics, but she was essentially almost homeless. And, you know, 15 years later, she's like, oh, my God, how did I get into this marriage? And I said, let me tell you a story of this girl named Sally. That's not her name. 15 years ago, there was this girl. And I told her the story of herself that she had told me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, she was out there feeling terrified in the world. And she met this person named Gabe, which is also not his name. And Gabe, and I literally told her the story, and she was like, yeah, she's brilliant. I'm like, she's brilliant. This was safety for her. Yeah. Now, did she know that she was going to develop an infection? She didn't, but she didn't have the capacity to think getting into this relationship or choosing this drug or, right, you know, engaging in this kind of behavior is going gonna, is gonna, to, no, there was no capacity there. So she had to get into survival. Later mm-hmm. on, when you're more settled often, right, or you have more capacity or you're more mature, you're like, holy smokes, do I still want this thing? It's caused an infection or it's causing an infection, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't automatically mean now she's going to divorce him. In some situations, it's like I have to renegotiate this relationship. In some situations, it's like I have to look at my relationship with alcohol, right? Or it's like I have to look at how I'm constantly avoiding in every relationship I get in after like month three, suddenly I'm out, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. probably lonely, you know? So then it's like, let's look at the pattern, kind of what you just said, and look at what's going on. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. yeah. So essentially what you're going to start seeing is either we'll see it in, in children in their younger years or in adults, is that usually there's some kind of discomfort, there's pain, there's a symptom. Often it's un, um, 
when it comes to trauma, I will say, let's say when there's like neglect or pain or like an abusive dynamic or just confusion. A lot of what people go through is confusing experiences from when they were younger or even in an adult relationship. And then, you know, they start thinking about it. Um, you'll see either symptoms that are just confusing, like, wait, why do I have such, why am I having panic attacks all of a sudden? Or mm-hmm. this like deep seated feeling of dread. Um, or what you will see just so we were saying is like body flashbacks. So waves of like panic or just feeling really tight. And the first mm-hmm. thing is like, I, it's, it's like, it's like explaining to them the concept of body flashbacks, what that means or body memories is essentially that the body is having memories and emotions of a previous experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's trying to tell you a story. So I'll have clients come in with symptoms and they're like, I'm totally fine. Right. Cause their head feels fine but their body is not, their body is holding on to memories. So sometimes we'll yeah. see that um, as well, where there's almost like these flashbacks, which is almost like the body is flashing back in time, or they might actually have like cognitive flashbacks or memory flashbacks or nightmares that it doesn't always mean that that specific experience happened, but sometimes there's like themes of like fear or being trapped or, you know, you might have this positive as well. I have clients to talk about amazing flashbacks of the past as well, but we're mm-hmm. talking Healing, which usually means there's something that wasn't properly digested um, that's asking to have some attention so it could be digested for people to move on. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's incredible how intelligent the body is. Even if our brains are not aware of what's going on in the body, how our nervous system has this innate intelligence from that picks up on patterns from our past and projects them onto the present or the future to keep ourselves safe, essentially. And um, so shutting down, getting defensive, Mm -hmm. um, wanting to run away from our problems or even fawn and people please to kind of keep ourselves safe. It's, It's incredible how the body just does that automatically and we're not even aware of it consciously. Um, So when you mentioned uh, sensory motor um, therapy, is that um, that's that's focused on the body and the sensations in the body? Would you share a little bit more about about that? Yeah, um, Pat Ogden um, created this therapeutic method. It's called sensory motor psychotherapy, mm-hmm. and it talks all about incorporating the different parts of like body movement, posture, um, mm-hmm. beliefs and how our body holds on to emotions, sensations, um, beliefs, memories, and being able to work with a whole person. And so essentially the goal of the therapeutic method is that when we're working with a client, what we're looking for is we're listening to their story verbally, Mm -hmm. we're also listening to their nonverbal story of what they're not seeing, and we're also looking at how the body has been impacted by the experience of life. Now. There might be a client that comes in because they were in um, a bike ride accident, right? Maybe somebody hit them and they fell off. And Mm -hmm. so they have this like twitch that they suddenly develop. And so it might be a single incident trauma, but essentially, right, might not be something that's so complex, but essentially what I'm listening for is like the point of impact and how I can help them um, drop into their body, right? The body is holding this memory of kind of like a few pieces. Number one, they were drive, they were riding somewhere. Right, trauma is basically that you you weren't prepared, like you didn't know it was coming, right? Yeah. There was a fact you knew it was coming, um, you weren't prepared for it, and there was nothing you could do to stop it from happening. Um, mm-hmm. That you lose connection with other people, right? So there's like this threat to safety for yourself, or perceived threat for yourself or someone else. Um, you, there's no there's no awareness that it's happening. You can't stop it from happening, and like you feel kind of out of touch of connection to other people. So. What we'll do is like, we want to help look at what happened in that experience. Now, often it's like there's trust in the body, trust in the environment, trust in the world and people around. And what we're listening for is like, what happened there that there was this injury, right? So Mm -hmm. the client either like, right, the point where like they hear a honk or they try to stop on their brakes and it doesn't stop and then they fall to the ground. And Mm -hmm. so we're negotiating not just like the getting in the bike crash, but also like how they felt, who was around them, what's the belief, what's the danger, right? And the, the twitch is often like the body is trying to remember what happened. So it could be, it's almost like, I think I mentioned this to you. It's almost like there's an experience. When we go through experiences, our brain experiences it and then it digests it overnight and then it goes into long-term memory. But when there's an experience that was traumatic and the body and brain couldn't digest it, it stays here. 
And then it causes mm-hmm. symptoms, either those symptoms or panic or nervousness or people pleasing, right? Or just like whatever symptoms somebody might have, a more intrusive thoughts. Um, because it hasn't been digested properly. The body is still like waiting for either something bad to happen or to have to swerve, right? Mm-hmm. So that So Pat Ogden talks about either like a bike accident or you might work with somebody who, you know, in any situation when she wants to speak up, shuts down. Or, yeah. right, like you're talking about the fawn response, which is people-pleasing. Like somebody mm-hmm. does the thing and they want to say, no, that doesn't work, but they just can't say it because they're terrified, right? Yeah. And they tried saying, no, maybe they would have been hit badly or would have been threatened to be kicked out of the house, right? Yeah. And sometimes people say, like you hear sometimes self-help say, oh, just um, get over your emotions, right? And, and you know, sometimes feelings and emotions, they're, they're not at all founded in reality, but they are very real physiologically. And that, that extreme terror someone can feel in their body as a result of trauma can totally inhibit them so how does how does one go about healing something that's so deeply ingrained in the body and the mind even even if you're not consciously aware of it yeah yeah i love your questions they're so um on target so i'm going to answer basically specific to sensory motor but it's really any therapy part Mm -hmm. of what we do is that we're listening also for the child within or we're listening in or we're looking for the part that went through the pain or the trauma or the fear, right? Mm-hmm. Say someone tells me, say I have a boss who's very demanding, who always asks me to do things and half of the time it's too much for me and I can't do it. And I end up working way late into the night and then I yell at my partner and my kids and I'm just angry and moody and I'm self-neglecting, okay? So yeah. it's too much. And somebody says to me, just snap out of it. Say, no, I don't want to do it, Right. And yeah. it's not even about the fear of losing my job, let's say. Let's say it is, it's not about the fear of losing my job. But the terror I feel in speaking up to this person is so much that I become paralyzed. So yeah. if somebody says, just snap out of it, I can either force myself to disassociate, to say no to him, and to be stuck in terror, and to re-traumatize myself, and maybe not even be present with what he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. Or to say no, and he says, okay, and he honors it. But I'm still terrified the next time somebody else, because when we have issues, they pop up in every area of our life. Somebody else asks me, and either I have to be up to force to re-traumatize myself to do that again, or just be like, no, I can't. And then I just think I'm a loser. So Mm -hmm. I'm not against exposure therapy and exposure techniques. I will challenge people to set boundaries. But I think the difference is this, what you were just asking. So in sensory motor psychotherapy and in any of the really good therapies that are trauma-informed, what we're looking for is where is the person in the here and now and where is their experience of their body and their mind collapsing into the past? Mm-hmm. The past could mean six months ago you were in a relationship with someone who would shout at you if you ever didn't iron his shirt properly, right? The past could be that you had a friend who was always talking behind your back and you started doubting everyone around you and you don't know if you could trust them. Mm-hmm. The past could be that you were sexually violated right? Mm-hmm. And you feel uncomfortable in your skin. So essentially what's happening is that when you're working um, with a person, you're listening for what's happening now, okay? And then who else is in the room with us? Sometimes it's a young child, right? Sometimes it's a five-year-old. Sometimes it's a 15-year-old. Now, when it comes to like parts work, like I'm trained in IFS and parts work, sometimes there's a few different parts. Sometimes there's like a teenage part that was very promiscuous because of its way of like escaping and run away from home life. And maybe there was like a five-year-old who was badly neglected, mm-hmm. right? But you're listening for, when you're working with a client, a skilled therapist is saying, okay, so here's the client who people pleases. So instead of me just saying, come on, just, you know, you're 42 years old, tell your boss, no, I'm starting to listen for who else is in the room right here that's holding that terror. Mm-hmm. That can't actually open her mouth because if she did back then, whenever the then was, something bad would have happened to her or something mm-hmm. bad happened to the people around her, right? If her mom or her sister spoke up to someone and they got slapped or then got punished in some way, she learned, don't you ever speak up because then there's danger. So in good psychotherapy, just so you understand, we're working with, we're always working with dual awareness. And if you don't tell the client, it's like, by the way, I'm working with two different parts of you. You get, you use yeah. it in a very natural way. Like I always say, I'm like, you know, as you're telling me this story about your boss, I can't help but get a sense that, there's some real worry there, or it feels almost impossible. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, is, is it, does it feel impossible to the 42-year-old, or is there some other part of you that knows something about, or that's, you know, that, that knows something about speaking up that makes it feel like dangerous or really not something that you should do, right? Yeah. You start yeah. working with that part, 
right? A good therapist starts working with the part that actually is holding a survival mechanism of either, yeah, either someone who in this specific situation maybe was fawning and just like, yeah, whatever you want, right? Um, and then you start working with that part or that belief or that memory um, yeah. and help and work with that because, you know, if, if that part is still in danger, right? Like if somebody's still in actively in a relationship where someone's going to hurt them, you don't say speak up, right? With domestic violence or if there's ongoing emotional abuse, you don't tell someone to do something that's going to cause more harm, right? You always assess for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, we have clients that are in, they'll say toxic relationships. I don't tell them, say this to your partner I might, or say this to your boss. I might say, in the here and now in our therapy room or in our time together, let's just raise awareness for you and your own self so you know that you're not crazy. Yeah. Is totally normal and your coping skills are normal. If they're not good for you, we want to start negotiating better coping skills over time. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but essentially what we do is like, we want to help this part, right? If somebody is no longer at home or in that dangerous situation, we want to help, um, we help process either verbally or somatically. I might work with that fear in the body somatically to help it move through, help that child or whoever it was see that in the here and now it's not dangerous anymore and help to provide some relief and orientation to the here and now so they could feel much more secure and mm-hmm. be able to engage in healthier functioning aspects of life. So, yeah. yeah. So you're really bridging that gap between where a painful perception originated and where the person was at at that time and taking that back to the present to kind of be aware of what's going on in the present, what it, the parts it's connected to, and kind of retelling the narrative to to raise awareness and to, I, I guess, help people understand that their coping mechanisms are there for a reason, that they were helping them, and um, they were helping them deal with perceived danger, even if it's not necessarily real, that they're not crazy. and um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a lot of helping people understand themselves and and the deepest parts of themselves. So when you mentioned helping others heal somatically, um, so the the parts therapy is a lot of that is cognitive based. What does it mean to help someone heal in their body or like a bottom up approach? I love that you just said that. First of all, I love how you just, I also just appreciate the fact that you said how like you're not crazy just for anyone out there. There were times in my life when I thought I was crazy. I used to have really, really bad like stomach anxiety. I mean, I didn't think mm-hmm. I was not anxiety. I thought I had gastro issues. Um, yeah. And I had, I was hyper aware of things in my family that everyone was like, no, you know? And so just even getting to know like different people dynamics and the ways that everyone operated to orient around, you know, powerful people or wealthy people or, you know, different um, social and cultural norms and kind of being able to navigate that and finding what feels right and healthy for me and setting boundaries that are right and healthy in a way that's, um, you know, graceful, but also very clear, very crystal clear. Um, it's, It's a process. So I love how you're saying just like that, Compassion, I think, is huge, especially, and I want to highlight the self-compassion that you keep talking about, um, because the world isn't always so compassionate, especially if they don't want to look at their own scars. It's like, why are you being so understanding to yourself? And um, yeah. And, yeah. and the funny thing is, is people sometimes have an allergic reaction to compassion. They say, you're going to be compassionate that you did bad things or you did things that caused you to you know, launch later on in life or to be less than an ideal whoever, parent, partner, worker. And I always say, like, look, Self-compassion is not the, the same as being um, like apathetic and just being, you know, um, non-forward thinking in terms of your growth. Actually, self-compassion is usually what propels people to to mobilize, to engage in a different way of being. So we're not saying, yeah. oh, everything you said is everything said and done is okay, and just keep doing it. We're saying we're normalizing it. We're not shaming you so that yeah. they're frozen, um, but we're yeah. helping move through whatever whatever experiences. So I love that compassion that just comes across. Mm-hmm. The, the bottom-up approach is that essentially what we believe is that um, our bodies hold all experiences. And I could just speak for myself. So I used to have this really bad like belly issues. I was in the emergency room a few times, and um, I had no memory. There was a loss in my family. There was um, a death in my family when I was very young, and no one spoke about it. 
And I was always like the person, I have dimples, everyone called me dimples, smiley, right? Like a smiley face, sunshine. I, I unconsciously took on the burden, I would say, and the responsibility of making everyone happy so they didn't have to deal with the grief because they didn't know how to deal with the grief of this person in the family who died. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a lot of like the pain and the anger and the confusion and the secrecy around um, around it. And so I think part of my passion about the bottom-up approach is that I went to therapy and I went to talk therapy and it wasn't helping me. You know, I remember like, and I myself am a therapist and I was like, it's so weird. Like I'm going to talk therapy. I have anxiety and it's, or my belly is hurting me and it, the doctors say it's not medical. So what's going on? Yeah. And only when I started working with a therapist to help me just get in touch with my body. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't like, and I had, I really wasn't, I was really out of touch with my body. You're saying like, how do we do that? It's like the first step is even just developing a relationship with the body. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't mean just saying like, go inside, go, go inside. We are like, sometimes we tell clients like, so just check inside, check, check inside. We are right. Like it takes yeah. <laughs> a relationship, right? Like you, you do these meditations and so much of um, these other kinds of supports are all a matter of like, can you engage in daily practices that help you even develop an awareness of the power of your mind and your body? Notice yeah. how big or small you feel in the room right? Just even start feel what it's like to like touch your, your arm, right? Mm -hmm. How it feels on your elbow, right? How does it feel for some clients? I have them look at them, themselves in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Just like notice your facial expression, mm -hmm. your body. So I think the first thing is even just number one, developing something called a felt sense, which is kind of like just developing this somatic, which just means like the body sense of who you are. We live in our bodies. Mm -hmm. A lot of times symptoms that we're experiencing um, are connected to how our bodies feel. So it starts with like developing slowly, like somebody's telling a story. And as they're telling a story, I might slowly help them with a mindfulness directive. Um, and I might drop my tone, like I'll meet them if they're either talking very quickly or very slow and very down. So I'll meet the client where they're at, but then I kind of want to shift them into some, if somebody's very down, I'll engage in that way and then kind of bring them a little bit more energetically up. Mm -hmm. behavior or conversation or if somebody's very jumpy I'll bring them down and then as they're talking I might link up to some kind of awareness of like yes mm -hmm. you're kind of slunched over when you kind of slouch over when you talk about your dad or I just realized that like yeah that does it feel like uh does the room suddenly feel kind of like it has this sadness in it right if they're holding sadness and I don't want them to feel bad that I'm picking up on it like it's not their sadness I'll say like you feel that, that sadness in the room suddenly, like as we started talking about yeah. your younger brother, right? So you start working with like the other senses and the energy and like the burdens um, or the pain, or I've worked with clients who just, I feel like they, they just have terror or they have so much anger in their body. Mm -hmm. So the way that you work with it is that instead of talking about, so you're angry, why do you think that you're angry? Oh, you get nervous? Oh, you have a hard time getting in a car? Oh, you feel trapped and you go on a train? Oh, you think that you're afraid of love, right? Or, oh, wow, you can't stand your children. Like all those words, like it can get cathartic. So you could, start, you could talk, um, but the talking, you always want to kind of link it up to another part um, of the person and you try to get in touch with like the energy or some kind of somatic awareness. Now, for some clients, they're like, they think it's heebie-jeebie. Like, why are you helping me get in touch with my body? Why are you asking me, you know, how my chest feels? So I might use yeah. myself as a tool and be like, as you're telling me this, I actually feel like my heart dropped. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so I'm like mirroring to them or I'm like embodying um, some of what's going on. So the bottom-up approach is that you're really helping the client tell the story not just from their body or about themselves, but with themselves. And as they tell the story, you're often helping them unburden or get in touch with the pain. There's often like tears or laughter or a bit more movement or a shift in their posture. You might work with it. I might say like, we just try a physical exercise, right? If we're setting a boundary or we're working with grief. Um, so essentially it's helping the body experience relief. Some clients don't want to talk about trauma and I'll say like, you actually don't even have to talk much. Um, just tell me what emotion you feel. And the client might say, well, I feel sad. And I'll be like, can I, could we work with sadness? And literally we're working somatically. I'll say like, could we notice where the sadness is in your body? And I'll slowly work with them. And then the session might just be so many tears that they were holding for too many years or spoke about for too many years. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but that's definitely, perfect. definitely. And yeah, you know, you don't always have to go back into the, the painful experience and relive it to to heal it you're you're absolutely right just 
processing how it feels in your body and being compassionate to yourself, which you the word compassion with your literally means to suffer with. Right? Like that's that's why I believe emotions are so important. You know, it's not mind over matter because emotions are very real. They're the energy in our body, our our breath, our sensations, our heart rate, our muscular tension. And the more we can connect to that and the emotions that are living within us, the more we can work through them and learn tools to work through them and recognize them in ourselves and in everyday situations outside of therapy, outside of meditation or well-being. And um, and really just understand ourselves better, develop a deeper relationship with ourselves. I want to just say one more thing about, I just kind of want to highlight what you said about compassion. Yeah. Like being able to be with like suffering or with like big emotions. People sometimes get really afraid. People get afraid of being with emotions. You know, like in AEDP, they talk about that there's no positive or negative emotions. There's just emotions. Yeah. You know, people either have space or don't have space. And the most interesting thing is, is that we feel yucky when we don't have space for emotions. Like mm -hmm. a lot of our symptoms. Now, obviously there are people, I just don't want to ignore the medication piece. Like, obviously I think there's a place for medication. There's Definitely. a place like biologically, there are people who have predispositions. Like you need to take care of your medical health as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are some people who they, they need to engage as well or be helpful for them to engage with what's going on in their mind and body. And that can be more effective or effective alongside with therapy. So eventually they can go off of it. For some people, part of their self-care is actually staying on the medication while they also engage in like, you know, helping to work with their brain and their body. Um, but I think essentially, like I know for my own self, there were some negative emotions that I didn't know that I could tolerate and I would just run from them. And part mm -hmm. of healing has been like, no emotion is going to gobble you up. Every yeah. emotion, right? Like if we can tolerate and change our relationship, right? Yeah. Present with different emotions, oh, there is a lot more leeway to, to being. And life is about, right? Being able to be. Yeah. 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 And, and even regarding challenging or what we would commonly think of as negative emotions as, say, rage or guilt or shame or, or this deep sadness or loneliness and realizing that they arise for a reason that our it's our body sending us messages they're not they're not just sheerly bad we're not just flawed or you know like like if we tune into them and and we soften into them and begin to understand why they've arisen they can really they, they seem to kind of dissolve on their own once we stop running from them and start paying attention to them. And that's one thing I wanted to mention as as well is how can we help each other heal and how can or how can we how can we be trauma informed as individuals um, and not just professionals? I love that. Um, I think the way that we're trauma informed is number one, uh, starting with ourselves, noticing the spaces and the places where we get judgmental. Mm -hmm. We get critical, we get impatient with ourselves because we all do from time to time. Mm -hmm. Tapping into right, like a like a platform like yours, Sprout, getting connected to knowledge and to wisdom and mm -hmm. making our lives lives like I guess I think about like the flowers behind you, the greenery behind you, like our environments really impact us. Our thoughts feed healthy neural networks or less than helpful neural neural networks. So mm -hmm. I think like tapping into or getting connected to, um, you know, positivity, knowledge that feeds us, that helps us develop more compassionate understanding of how and why we are the way we are. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think naturally for other people, like when you, when you notice yourself judging, cause we all judge, just pause, pause before you deliver that comment, pause before you make a snarky, making fun comment, pause before you know, you interact in a in an angry, defensive, or reactive way, or you make that, you know, hurtful remark because often you're hurting or somebody else is hurting, and you can always choose what's good for you. And you could do it in a gentle way or or in like an a, you know an abrupt way. Um, mm -hmm. But I think you're asking about how can we be trauma informed people. I think it's by staying like abreast with the world's knowledge, like read, listen to a podcast, or. Um, but I, I think it really, and read books and, 
you know, we're all in this place in this universe called life and none of us have a way to kind of like escape pain. Um, mm -hmm. And there's pain and there's pleasure, there's joy and there's difficulty, right? And I think it's a matter of being able to relate from one person to the other, from a place of shared humanity. And if you mm -hmm. don't understand someone, you can stay curious, right? And if you don't have the capacity or the interest to stay curious, then you can choose not to, but don't, but like, don't do harm. You know, people sometimes are like judging or harmful. Um, but I do have to say that at the end of the day, the happiest people on this planet are ones who are devoted to self-growth and self-development. And that doesn't mean like going obsessive and having seven books of self-healing by your bedside, but it could be like going for a walk, having that real conversation that your husband's been wanting to have with you for six months. Um, be acknowledging the fact that you're lonely and maybe you need to choose a different friend group slowly over time, right? So I think taking steps towards your own awareness of health um, and really operating from a place of compassion really shifts the way, the safety. It improves safety for yourself and for those around around you and it just helps us feel more okay in the world at large. Yeah, energy is contagious, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the more we can learn to acknowledge our own experiences and how our past has shaped us and the emotions we experience and, and how to work through them, it seems the more we can help others do the same. Or even, even if we're not intentionally helping others, simply leading by example. It's so powerful. Like we sometimes we don't realize the power that other people have on us and the power we have on other people. I once yeah. went to a training and I was going through a really hard time um, mm -hmm. in my personal life. And the it wasn't even the trainer. There was an attend there was somebody who was attending who offered to be an assistant to the training. And the way she um, you know, carried herself and interacted with people, and there was one person who was like being very um, a little bit like porcupiney and spiky and a little like raspy. And because she was probably going through a lot, and I realized how this person was so contained and calm and sweet, but obviously in a boundary way. And I was like, she is, I want to have whatever it is that she has. And it was like compassion and wisdom, but like clarity. Yeah. And I remember like she left such a big imprint. I met her a couple of years later. I'm like, I have to thank you. She's like, why? We never even had a direct interaction. I was like, I don't know what work you've done, or I don't know like who you are as a person, but I could just tell you, I was watching your interaction and you really helped me anchor into some wisdom. And I was like, wow, I want to be able to, to be her, you know, or to be able to embody some of that for my own self. Um, yeah. We do impact people. And you know how many times people won't tell us how much we impact them, but later down the road, they'll tell us, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah. like you, like you mentioned before, it's, it's not even the words that someone speaks to us that can impact us. It's, it's everything they don't say, how they carry themselves. They're, their body language, the way they respond to their life and others around them and the world around them um, really says more than words ever can. Yeah. 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 Well, um, there's one quote that I wanted to share by Abraham Maslow, the psychologist. One can choose to move back towards safety or forward towards growth. Growth must be chosen again and again fear must be overcome again and again. And um, I think that's uh, really evident in, in the work you do and, and some of the things that you were explaining. So um, thank you so much, Esther. And um, yeah, I you, love that. I love that quote. I just have to say, as someone who negotiate, we negotiate that on a daily basis, right? We do. He is like those, I think I mentioned, like an old pair of sneakers. That's not good for your posture anymore, but they're so comfortable. And then yeah. growth is leaning towards something new. That's good for us. Mm -hmm. I love that quote. Thank you. Yeah. It's, and the small things we do every day that help us heal and grow. Yeah. I believe. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to speak today and to be at, uh, to be on the uh, on the show, and if anyone would like to reach out to Esther or her team, you can do so at integrativepsych.co, and I will put your Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn in the description or show notes. Thank you. What a gift! What a gift to be part of this. I'm so excited to be connected, and 
thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. And thank you so much for being our very first guest. Um, Can't wait to see where this goes. It's going to be amazing places. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Feel, Heal, Grow podcast with our very first guest. If you enjoyed this, I would be grateful if you left a review wherever you're listening. Also, feel free to send this to someone you care about who you think could find value in this episode. If you're on your own healing journey and are looking for guidance through the emotions accompanying it, check out the Sprout app, that's S-P-R-O-W-T, available on both the App Store and Google Play. On the app, you'll find immersive practices on topics ranging from courage, forgiveness, letting go, patience, facing fear, overcoming guilt, healing and transforming shame, overcoming procrastination, deep healing, growth, and much more. Each practice takes you on a journey of the mind, body, and breath to help you feel emotions, heal painful perceptions, and grow into your best self with new practices uploaded weekly. We'd love to hear your feedback and are always open to topic suggestions. So please connect with us on social media or email us at support at sprout.io. That's support at S-P-R-O-W-T dot I-O. And lastly, breathe air with flair, be self-aware, and take care. Till next time.